I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic, and welcome back to The Athletic's NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor at The Athletic, and we are through week one. Lindsay, we made it. Yes, 16 games. There was a lot of drama. There were some really bad games, but also some really good games, <laughs> which reminded us of why we're so excited for the season to begin. So, Amy, when you went back and you looked at all these games from week one, what was your biggest surprise? So, I'm going to go through some recency bias, perhaps, but I have to say, last night's Raiders game, really big surprise for me, because for those of you who read our power rankings, you might not be able to deduce this from just seeing them, but we do have a Google spreadsheet that is kind of constantly updating and changing with the rankings. And on Sunday and Monday morning, the Raiders were number 30. After the events of the weekend, we all thought that they were going to fall completely on their faces and get embarrassed because of all the distractions that had gone on. We did not expect very much from them. And they went out and they performed last night against the Broncos. And a lot of people thought the Broncos were going to look like this improved team. They did not, but the Raiders looked solid. They had 357 total yards of offense. Derek Carr, 22 for 26 and a touchdown. Josh Jacobs looked really great, 113 all-purpose yards. Uh, Look, you got to give credit to John Gruden for what he was able to do, pulling them together after the crazy weekend and all of the drama with Antonio Brown. I think a lot of us expected them to go out there and and be bad, and they looked good. I, I, I was very, very surprised with the way that they were able to pull that together after all of the AB stuff that went on on Saturday. And Amy, you made a really good point there, which I would like to point out for all of our listeners here who are listening on any of your podcast platforms, and especially when you have read our power (laughs) rankings, which we will link to on our Twitter at The Athletic NFL. These rankings are compiled by votes from our entire national NFL staff. So while my name is on it, I didn't just arbitrarily <laughs> pick these rankings. And um, so you can direct your um, your complaints to me. That's fine. But I just would like everybody to know that these are all of us, our entire staff, um, our NFL national staff that's voting on these. So it's one of the things that makes this process kind of fun for us because, you know, we all see these games a little bit differently. So we have different perspectives on um, where teams are at right now, where we think they could be going in the future, what sort of impact events like Antonio Brown leaving or Nick Foles breaking his call. Bone. Those sorts of things can really shift the rankings. And yeah, it is, like Amy mentioned, really fun to kind of watch as the different votes come in, the way that the rankings change up and down. Um, so that said, I would like to start the podcast today with an apology to the Tennessee <laughs> Titans. If you listen to our bonus episode last week, um, I, uh, I, I said that I was really excited to watch the Browns Titans game in no part because of the Tennessee Titans. And here's my apology To the folks of Nashville, to the Tennessee Titans organization, I am sorry. I was wrong about your team. I was, I loved watching that game. And it was because of what Marcus Mariota and that offense was doing, what the Tennessee Titans defense was able to do to Baker Mayfield. They smothered that offensive line. They gave Baker Mayfield hell all afternoon. Cam Wake looked like he was 25 years old instead of 45 years old, approximately. And uh, Marcus Mariota looked great. So I am sorry to the people of Tennessee. I will not forget you. And please don't let me down in the future. (laughs) While we're at it, I should apologize for telling people that the Falcons-Vikings would be a really good game to watch last week. It was uh, not very good. It was completely dominated and one-sided. And we'll talk more about the Vikings later (laughs) and uh, when their fans are probably not thrilled with the... our rankings this week. But Lindsay and I both think the Vikings are very, very good. We promise. Top five, bottom five. All right. So now we're going to move on to our top five teams after week one. So this 
Doesn't look that different from weeks past, but here they are. Number five, LA Rams. Number four, Eagles. Number three, Saints. Number two, Chiefs. And number one, of course, the Patriots. These are the same top five in a slightly, I believe the Rams and Eagles flop, but everything else is exactly the same. So, Lindsay, what to you is the most notable in this group? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that are clear here. One, our our panelists, our national staff, we clearly see a top tier in the NFL that not, nothing really has changed over the offseason, the preseason, the first week of the season that makes us think that any of these top five teams are any worse than what we already thought. Um, but I think the really interesting thing is that we've kind of put the Patriots in that number one spot earlier this year, earlier in this offseason, strictly because they won the Super Bowl last year. What this week, week one showed us was that they absolutely deserve to be there. This is not just a courtesy ranking. They absolutely look, look absolutely look like the best team in the NFL right now. They dominated the Steelers in every facet Sunday night. We thought that was going to be a competitive game. I, you know, I'm disappointed in this, uh, in the Steelers, in their offense, in their defense, in their coaching decisions. Uh, but the Patriots just look stacked and they only got better when Antonio Brown officially signed his contract this week. So the Patriots are my number one with a bullet. I, I have a hard time seeing them falling out of that top spot anytime soon. There's some games when you look far into their future. Um, you know, they have to play Baltimore. They play the Eagles. Um, they play the Chiefs. There are some games down there you could say, okay, maybe that's maybe that's the one. But nothing in the immediate future where you think, okay, maybe somebody's going to knock the Patriots out of that top spot because they're really good right now and they're only going to get better. Right. Absolutely. And I can't even imagine what their offense is going to look like once Antonio Brown <laughs> ends up joining. It's going to be pretty scary. Um, so for me, I think Obviously, I also think like I think the Chiefs stood out just in terms of they were as good as we thought they were going to be. They didn't. It looked Pat Mahomes picked up right where he left off, so that is notable as well. Um, but for me, I think the Eagles really stood out in the second half specifically, and and with what Deshaun Jackson adds to that offense. Shield Kapadia in a piece piece he had a a good stat. It said in eleven games last season, Carson Wentz had one touchdown of fifty plus yards, and in one game with Jackson in twenty nineteen he had two. So obviously Jackson's going to make an impact on that offense. We already knew that they were loaded and to see it really mesh in the second half with the way that they totally completely erased a 17 and nothing deficit. And obviously look, they can't start off games trailing every time they need to be better in the first half, but the way that they were able to put it together in the second half, the drives that they were able to string together to come back and completely erase that deficit was was really impressive. It was something to watch. And, and Wentz looked great in the second half. And it, they are going to be an elite team. I think we were all really high on them before the season. And I think that this the second half of this game really showed us why. So that did stand out to me. All right. So the flip side of this, it's time to get into our bottom five. And unlike the top five, there was actually some movement here. Um, there are some new teams that we thought were worse than to be expected. Um, that does not include our number 32 team, the Miami Dolphins, who have been at the bottom throughout the offseason and preseason. Number 31, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Number 30, New York Giants. Number 29, the Detroit Lions. Number 28, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So if you looked back at our rankings or listened to the pod last week, that means there are two new teams in the bottom five. That's the, the Bucks and the Jaguars, which means it's a very bad start to the season for the state of Florida. Um, Amy, is there a team in there that you think really deserves this new spot in the bottom five or anything that stands out to you about this group? Um, I think the Bucks, I, I think I did say on one of the last podcasts that I 
had a little bit of hope for Bruce Arians and the Bucks, and that this might be the year that Jameis Winston is really the new Jameis Winston. And he's not. He's still the old Jameis Winston. It's getting more difficult to believe that that's going to change. They did not look good at all. The Giants, I believe I had them as 31. They Their defense was just awful. And Jacksonville, you know, they actually played an okay game at the beginning against Kansas City, but Nick Foles' injury is it's going to be really tough to overcome, even though Gardner Minshew actually did not play that poorly. But it's really difficult. To, the, the stuff with Miles Jack, and it just kind of shows an organization that's not necessarily that well-run and that well-disciplined, and I think that's going to be the difference for them putting it together this year. And so they, I think, are... I think the Jaguars are going to be staying in the back half of the 20s for a while. And uh, in the effort of uh, transparency here, I did actually have the Detroit Lions lower than 29 um, just because of the way that they collapsed in that game. They were leading 24 to 6 in that game um, in the fourth quarter on the road at Arizona. They had a huge offensive performance from their rookie tight end, TJ Hawkinson. Um, So there were a lot of things that were going well, and then they really just melted down. And it really felt like kind of a classic Lions, oh, here we go again kind of thing from the, you know, if if you're a Lions fan, I understand that's what you're feeling. Um, They had, you know, special teams mishap that led to that collapse. They had a boneheaded timeout from offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel that wiped off a third down conversion. Um, And then really, they just kind of let Kyler Murray catch fire after really containing him for, you know, two and a half to three quarters of that game. So, you know, I think because of the way the final period and then overtime kind of transpired for the Lions, I had them a little bit lower. I don't think they're necessarily the 31st worst team um, in the NFL right now. But I just think after week one, how they must be feeling. Um, that's why I had them that low. Right. You have something in, in your blurb for the Lions about a, an athletic commenter on Chris Berg's story who called it the most Lions game ever. <laughs> Sounds about right. That's pretty much what it was watching it. It was just, as you said, just here we go again. So typical kind of Detroit Lions uh, collapse. And especially if you were the Lions and you kind of looked around what else was going on in the division over that weekend where you saw the Bears really look terrible on Thursday night. The Packers looked Okay. I mean, I think their defense looked really good on Thursday night, as we discussed a couple of days ago. But I think you could look there and say, hey, we can be competitive in this division. Our our offense is playing well. And then all of a sudden, you kind of just have this colossal meltdown again. Um, They do have a chance to kind of uh, prove something new this week. They go home to Detroit. They're playing against the Chargers. And if they're able to beat the Chargers at home, I think that they will not be in the bottom five next week. Risers and falls. We're going to get a little bit weird. We're going to call out some flaws in our ranking system, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. This is a panel voted system. And Lindsay and I do not necessarily agree with the way that this all shakes out. We have two glaring examples this week. The first one that we're going to get into, the Minnesota Vikings absolutely dominated the Falcons in week one and they somehow ended up falling a spot last week they were number eight this week they ended up at number nine Lindsay you want to talk about that yeah it's it's, so I went back through all of our spreadsheets to see all of the voters to see how this happened (laughs) Um, and there were a couple there were two voters who were very divergent Um, one of them was you Amy you had them ranked sixth so you were yep. very high on, on the Vikings. You really liked what you saw on Sunday in that win. Um, and then one of our, our other voters who has identified himself, he is not wanting to, he doesn't need to stay anonymous. He'll that Shell Kapadia. He had them 15th. So that's how we kind of ended up here at number nine. Um, the rest of us had them in like the eight to, eight to nine range. 
Um, you know, and I think there was a lot to like there. I think they set a tone defensively right away. They sacked Matt Ryan on the very first play of the game, which is, you know, exactly what Mike Zimmer wants to do. And then they really just became this kind of old school running team. And they were so dominant that they were able to do that. My questions about the Vikings and why I still had them in that kind of eight to nine range, I believe I actually had them ninth, which is where they ended up ended up in the rankings. But, you know, I, my question there is how sustainable that sort of offensive philosophy is in kind of the modern NFL and what's going to happen when they're not completely dominating defensively the other team and they're able to just have full control of the clock and all of those sorts of things. Because we know Mike Zimmer wants them to run the ball. We know Gary Kubiak wants to be a very run heavy team and he's got a lot of influence on that offense. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski was promoted to be offensive coordinator under the, with the directive from Mike Zimmer to you know, run the hell out of Delvin Cook, who, by the way, looked really, really good. Um, but I want to see them become a more balanced offense. And I know they've got a lot of really good passing weapons there, um, you know, really good good receivers with Diggs and uh, Adam Thielen. And I was getting a lot of questions in my chat yesterday about, you know, fantasy related if people were worried about Stefan Diggs. And it's like, I mean, if they're going to only pass the ball 10 times a game, then yes. But I just want to see what they look like when they get into more competitive games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with you. And I think that what you have identified is certainly why people were not quite as excited about them in the ranking wise as I was. I just think that they executed the plan perfectly. It's exactly what they wanted to do. And they were able to do it. And honestly, I wasn't very inspired by anything else I saw from the NFC North this week. So they by far look like they're in the driver's seat of that division. Obviously, it's early, but I thought they were dominant and that they played really, really well while the other NFC North teams who are supposed to be their kind of biggest competition were not. Yeah, they definitely were the best NFC North team of the weekend. Um, I will say there was a lot I liked about the Packers defense, um, and I think their offense is going to come around. So that's going to be really fun to watch um, those two teams. I believe they play this week, actually. Um, so uh, so we're going to learn a lot more about the Vikings and the NFC North in coming weeks. So what was the other anomaly, the, the complaint that you have in these rankings this week, Amy? So it was about the Colts. Um, so where did they? They ended up at 19, I believe. And last week they were 18. So last week we knew very little about what they were going to look like, right? The Andrew Luck still coming off the heels of his pretty shocking retirement. We didn't know what to expect. And so we kind of had them in the mid-range. We had talked about this before. I think you and I had them about around 15, 16 range. Some other people had them a little bit lower. They came out and they played a a good game against a really good team. I mean, they had some really self-inflicted wounds, which is why they ended up losing. But, you know, they played really well. And in terms of Jacoby Brissett, 21 of 27, 190 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, an extremely efficient game. Frank Reich put together an aggressive game plan, too. It wasn't like he was constantly dinking and dunking. He was going deep when he needed to. It wasn't all the time. But you could tell that Frank Reich trusted his quarterback to go deep on these two-minute drills toward the end of the first half and the end of the game to bring them into overtime. He trusted his quarterback to get it done, and Brissett did. So I think in terms of Jacoby Brissett as a long-term option for the Colts, if this was some kind of test, it certainly went very well for him. He looked really good. Um, And their rushing game also looked great. They had over 200 yards of rushing, 
And Bob Kravitz had a stat from Pro Football Reference in his column today that I thought was really interesting, which was since 2017, the Colts are the only team out of 21 teams who have rushed for at least 200 yards without a single turnover and still lost. They rushed for 203 yards. Marlon Mack had 174. You know, they looked really balanced and they looked good on offense. It was the self-inflicted wounds and the kicking from Adam Vinatieri, who missed a 29-yard field goal, a 46-yard field goal, and an extra point. He cost them seven points on his own. Uh, it was really tough to watch. I think we all feel like when we watch Adam Vinatieri struggle that we're all aging with him. And it's like a really weird effect that we don't, you know, he's 46 years old. It makes sense that he's struggling, but they're going to have to figure that out fast. And they're going to have to see if they might need to to move on at some point from him. But in terms of their offense, which was going to be the biggest question mark after such a shocking departure with Andrew Luck, I thought Jacoby Brissett played really well. And I thought that based on what we saw from the AFC South, the Colts are right in it. And so I was surprised that they moved back a spot after, uh, you know, after a flawed but strong performance against a, a what we assume will be a playoff bound team in the Chargers. Yeah. And I think uh, that leads right into kind of where our risers and our fathers were and what we're going to be able to predict or what we'd like to predict about what might happen next week, because the Colts, a team that somehow fell um, after kind of a, a good game and a close loss, um, they go to play the Titans on the road next week. And, you know, if you heard me at the top, uh, you know, the Titans um, showed out in week one and they were indeed our biggest riser. Um, from week one, uh, the, the Titans ranked number 19 after the preseason in our poll, and they moved all the way up to number 12. So that's a seven spot climb. Um, the biggest riser of the week, I think, because they really exceeded expectations and they were so good in all three phases and that went against the Browns. So if the Colts are able to win at Tennessee next week, the Colts could be the team that does a, does a significant climb uh, after week two. Is that who? If we're going to predict the uh, biggest riser, you think it's going to be the Colts next week, Lindsay? Yeah, I think so. I mean, those two teams always kind of have these really interesting games. If you remember, they played back in Week 17 last season with kind of a win and get in situation, and the Colts dominated that game. Obviously, it was Andrew Luck against Blaine Gabbert was the quarterback matchup. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, this year when it's Jacoby Brissett versus Marcus Mariota. But I think they're going to be pretty evenly matched. So I'm going to pick the Colts in that game, and then I'm going to pick them to take a big jump up our rankings. And so on the other side of that are Fallers. No surprise here. Uh, It was the Steelers. They went from number six all the way to the middle of the pack uh, with number 15. Um, And that, you know, what do you even need to say about it? They didn't even show up against the Patriots. Everyone was, they had a lot of hype going into the season. I think people consider them far and away the AFC North favorite, or at least they did before they saw the Ravens. Um, And they just fell completely on their faces. They did not show up. They were dominated, like you said earlier, Lindsay, every single facet of the game. We were expecting to see Roethlisberger spread the ball around a little bit, see some of this offense without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, see how they were going to do and and how they all this chemistry that people were talking about in the offseason was going to pay off. And we didn't see any of that. And it was really disappointing. Um, And in terms of uh, fallers for next week, I think the Browns have a chance to really take a plummet because I was actually surprised that we had them. We still had them at 17, so they fell a few spots, but we weren't ready to totally push them back into the 20s yet. And they play the Jets next week at home in New York. Uh, They travel to New York, I should say. 
And if they lose that game, I think I think our panel is going to be ready to really plummet them backwards because I think the biggest issue with the Browns is what it's been all along, which is Freddie Kitchens. We don't know what he brings to the team. And on Sunday, we saw a lot of undisciplined. We saw a lack of discipline that comes straight from the coach with the amount of penalties that they had. And so if they play similarly against the Jets and they these self-inflicted errors that lead to a loss, their schedule after that Jets game is Rams, Ravens, 49ers, Seahawks, and Patriots. So they could be <laughs> in a really, really bad spot by the end of October. Yeah, yikes! That's that doesn't uh, that doesn't bode well. Yeah. But you know, it's another primetime game. I believe that's the Monday night football game next week. So you know, I all eyes are going to be on the Browns. I think they win that game. Um, yeah, I, I certainly think. I don't. Th- I'm not saying they're. Go- I think they're going to lose. But I definitely think they could lose. And I think if they, especially with C.J. Mosley, it sounds like he's going to play for the Jets and he was a terror against the Bills last week. So I think if they lose, they will plummet more than any other team who loses will. And I'll put one other team on kind of drop watch here, um, and that's Washington. They've got another um, division game against the Cowboys this week after losing to the Eagles last week. And yeah, the Cowboys looked really good, like really, really, really good last week. Um, I had them just outside of my top five. And the Redskins, if they lose this game, um, you're already two games back in the division after two weeks. That's that's really rough. So I'm going to put the Redskins uh, on kind of panic alert after week two. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, and so we're going to move on to Power Up, Power Down. Power Up, Power Down. Lindsay, do you want to start this week? I am going to power down this week. I'm going to be a little Debbie Downer heading into this segment, even though I've been powering up the last couple of weeks. Um, What was so frustrating over the course of this weekend. um, So I watched, I have a three-year-old daughter who I'm trying to get into football because she uh, this is a long way to get in this story. I apologize. But she um, she likes to pretend to be a mommy. And she <laughs> thinks what being a mommy means is watching football and then writing about it, which is adorable and awesome. And I love that she wants to try to be like me. But so I tried to get her to watch football this weekend with me. And she has the attention span of a three-year-old. So that means we can maybe make it through you know, a series here and there before she wants to, you know, run off and do something else. But it is impossible to watch these games because there are so many flags. She was constantly looking up and saying, what are they doing? What's going on? What's going on? And I'd have to say they're breaking the rules again. And why are they breaking the rules? And obviously to a three-year-old rules are very important and understanding the rules. And it was very, very, very difficult to watch. And I believe that there were um, about 250 penalties called over the course of the weekend, 64 offensive penalty, offensive holding penalties. And those are the ones that are just like mind numbing, uh, those, those sorts of plays. And it's been a point of ev- emphasis from the league office this year to the officiating crews to focus on offensive holding. And I, I get it. I, I get that that's what they want to do, but it makes the games so difficult to watch. You get out of rhythm. Um, it makes it, it really reduces uh, the effectiveness of these offenses. And look, we want to watch offense. It's what people want to do. So I'm curious to see if there becomes backlash here and if they, you know, maybe lessen the emphasis on offensive holding penalties at some point this season like they have. They've changed course midstream on other penalty enforcement um, through the course of the year. We saw them do it last year with roughing the passer. We saw them change the way that they enforced the lowering the helmet rule. So I, that's that's my number one um, part A 
of my powering down about officiating and powering and, and my part two of that also involves officiating, which was that we couldn't even make it through the first game back of the Superdome without the officials messing something up on Monday Night Football. There was a <laughs> critical. You think they would have learned? You would think no. there was a critical administration error in terms of how they ran the clock. There was um, a miscommunication about um, a timeout and how much a runoff was, and it ended up costing the Saints about 15 seconds. They should have had 31 seconds. Instead, the clock had 16 seconds, so they had to rush and. And their kicker, Will Lutz, ended up missing a 56-yard field goal at the end of the first half. Um, Obviously, Drew Brees, as we saw at this end of the second half, he can do a lot with about 30 seconds. Um, They got the ball back with 37 seconds at the end of the the game last night and were able to drive down and score the game-winning field goal. So it didn't end up costing them. But imagine if another officiating error would have cost the Saints a game, two games in a row at the Superdome. So this is just a really bad look for NFL officiating right now. And it's just kind of reinforcing that there's an officiating crisis. And every time they try to fix one thing this year, it was trying to fix instant replay by adding the pass interference challenge. There's some other problem that is going to pop up. I think you should give Lena a yellow flag and have her throw it in the air every time she's watching football with you <laughs> and see how many how many times uh, she's accurate in predicting a penalty because she probably will be if she just throws the flag up like half the time. <laughs> she absolutely would like that. Um, she would probably throw it at the dogs and uh, she would probably send a lot of guys to time. <laughs> All right. So I'm also going to power down this week. Um, I'm going to power down kickers as a entire unit, but more specifically, well, first of all, kickers just had a very rough week. A few in particular, the Jets actually just cut theirs. <laughs> Vedvik, uh, they've now released him after he uh, missed some crucial field goals for them last week. And uh, my specific though, specifically though, I want to focus on a play that was made in the Bears game, a decision I should say that was made in the Bears game, and it was. Matt Nagy, so facing a fourth and 10 at the Packers 33-yard line, it was late in the third quarter, I believe, he did not bring out his rookie field goal kicker, Eddie Pinheiro. It would have been a 51-yard try. And instead, they went for it on fourth and 10 after Mitchell Trubisky had done essentially nothing all game. They decided to go for it on fourth and 10 instead of kicking a field goal. And this was very puzzling to me because specifically because of the way the Bears handled their entire kicking situation this offseason. I really think that they mishandled that situation by refusing to move on and let it be in the past. And kind of Nagy made the decision to continue to show video of it to the kickers during their rotating tryouts this offseason, continue to make sure it was still being talked about. He never was really able to move on from the missed kick in the playoff game last year. And as a result now, there is just so much pressure on Eddie Pinheiro to the point where it feels like his coach is too nervous to even put him out there for a 51-yard try because of the reaction that it would get if he missed, because of the self-inflicted pressure that they created. And so I was just really confused by the way that they handled it. They just continued to kind of make a story out of their kicking in one way or another. And uh, I just did not agree at all with that decision. So two power downs to end the week uh, after week one from Lindsay and I. So that should conclude our episode. Lindsay, any any final thoughts? No, I mean, I, th- I just think it was, a, it was a fun week one. We kind of had the entire gamut of games. The one thing we're remiss, we did not talk at all about the Baltimore Ravens right now um, in, in our podcast yet. And I was that game was so fun to watch. And I cannot wait to watch them in week two because I want to know how much of uh, Lamar Jackson's success and Hollywood Brown's success was because 
they have just created a really awesome offense built around Lamar Jackson and how much of it was the Miami Dolphins just cratering. So that's what I'm really excited to watch um, this week. And we will be back later this week on Thursday with a bonus episode for The Athletic subscribers. You can get that on The Athletic app and hopefully you're following us, subscribing to us. Leave your comments, concerns, yell at us, yell at Shell about his Vikings rankings, all in the comments of the NFL Power Rankings on TheAthletic.com. Yeah, power up Lamar Jackson. That's our power up. (laughs) And uh, I'm Amy Pearl Piano. And I'm Lindsay Jones, and we'll be back later this week with our bonus episode. 